Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy It, uh, it's our first Sunday of 2024, not of 2024 in general, but of uh, being done our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so we're going to be picking up kind of where we've left off. Uh, but before we get back into the Gospel of Mark, I want to just mention a couple things about uh, the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, those of you that participated, you withdrew, you pulled things out of your life and uh, probably experienced God uh, in a new way, maybe a, a refreshing way in your life. I want to encourage you we talked about this at the start of that period of fasting, uh, is that our life is like a box, not of chocolates, but a box, and there's only so much space in our lives for things. And, uh, and we talked about how fasting is one of the ways that we create space, we remove things from our lives for God to work in us. And I want to encourage you, as you remove things from your lives over the, the 21 days of prayer and fasting that officially ended actually last Saturday, like a, a little over a week ago, um, don't just pile things back into your box, if I can encourage you. Uh, many of you, you know, changed maybe some of the, the habits around television or, or computers or YouTube or social media. Don't just pile all those things back into your life. I would encourage you to continue even to try to make it a practice to maybe keep some of those things out of your life or perhaps to, to make it a practice that maybe once a week or once a month to, to practice fasting, to draw near to the Lord. The other thing I want to um, just say is we went through the book, The Awe of God, and I, and I want to encourage you, if you have the time at some point, read it again. Uh, I found that my second time going through the book was much easier than my first time going through the book. Uh, first time going through the book, I was like kind of reeling, kind of like, oh my goodness. Um, and the second time going through it, I felt like there was a, a little bit more balance, that I just understood to a different level kind of what the author, John Bevere, was kind of getting at. Um, and I also want to mention about the book that I know it was, um, it was a heavy book, and it pushed, and it maybe poked in some ways that you were a little bit uncomfortable with. I did hear a few comments of people like, I'm not sure if I'm even saved. <laughs> um, that is not the intention of this book, all right? I want to be clear about that, that this book is not meant for you to doubt your salvation. Uh, in fact, he even speaks about that in the book. When it comes to things like obedience and walking in his ways, fearing the Lord, I, I want to read a little bit just to clear up any sort of questions surrounding that. Uh, he says this, um, he says, you are my friends if, you are my friends if, John 15, 14. And he talks about this, he says, we sing songs, we preach sermons, and speak casually about Jesus being our friend. And some even go so far as to refer to him as if he were their buddy. However, we rarely finish his statement. The word if is a condition. It's not automatic, even if we believe in him. What is the condition of friendship? You are my friends if 
you do whatever I command you. Now, before closing, allow me to address a possible lingering question. Does Jesus give us commands? Yes, there are over 500 commands in the New Testament alone. These are not commands required for salvation, since that's a free gift. Let me read that again. These are not commands required for salvation, though, since that's a free gift. Rather, these are commands that glorify God, that we are uh, empowered to keep by holy fear. Jesus' final words before leaving were, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Matthew 28, 19-20. The greatest benefit of holy fear is to be welcomed into a friendship relationship with Jesus. And I just want to reiterate and just encourage that, um, listen, our salvation is not based on what we do. It's not based on our obedience to the Lord. It's based upon what Jesus Christ has done. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is so clear about this. What does it tell us? It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want you just to, to, to hear. That's the message that the book gives, okay? So I want to be clear about that. Uh, it will push you. It will push you to, hopefully, to obedience, um, but know this, that our salvation is secure in what Christ has done. If you have put your faith in Christ, if you are in Christ, your salvation is secure. I want to be clear about that. But hey, we are now done our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're done our kind of Christmas season, that whole kind of thing. And so it is time for us to get back to the book of Mark. You see, as a church, uh, 90% of the time, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, from the start of a book to the finish of that book. And currently, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark. The last time that we were in Mark, back in December, I think it was mid-December, um, we finished Jesus teaching on the parables of the kingdom. Do you remember that? He was teaching on the parables of the kingdom. Parables are not just good moral stories. Parables are spiritual truths that Jesus would use to teach. Um, to, if you remember, we talked about how they reveal and they conceal. That's the purpose of a parable. It reveals kind of secrets of the kingdom, spiritual truths to those that really want to know, but to those that couldn't care less, like the religious leaders that just wanted to trap Jesus in his words, it actually conceals the true meaning to the, to the, to the truth. Those were the parables we looked at. Um, but by the way, does anybody know what a Bluetooth device's favorite kind of story is? I'm just curious. You know what a Bluetooth device is? Like your phones can Bluetooth, right, with like your earphones or your car. Anyone know what the, a Bluetooth device's favorite story is? Someone said it. A parable. You're right. A parable, right? A pair able. Right? A P A I R able. <laughs> By the way, you can blame Andrea for that. She bought me for Christmas a desktop calendar of 365 bad dad jokes. And I've been tearing them off and I've been storing them up. So, uh, so there'll be lots, lots more. You don't, don't blame me. It's not my fault. It's my wife who purposely didn't come this morning because she knew that I'd be blaming. No, she'll be at the second service. But anyway, uh, the parables. Uh, these were a series of parables. If you remember, the main focus was about the seed. That's how we started it off, the sower and the seed. Do you remember that parable? And basically all the parables focused on this. The seed represented what? What did the seed represent? The word of God. There we go. The seed represented the word of God. And its impact is what the other parables began to unveil for us, the impact that the word of God could have on our lives and upon this world. Well, as we finish chapter four this morning in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is done teaching his parables. And so really now it's time to put into practice what he taught. 
Because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to lead his disciples into a storm. A storm. How many of you have ever been in a bit of a storm? Anybody here? There's like four of us that have been through storms. Um, We've been through storms physically as far as weather patterns that are a little bit crazy sometimes. But I don't want us just to think about those kinds of storms, but storms of life. Right? All of us have been through different storms in life. And if you haven't been, just wait. It's coming. It'll happen. We all walk through different storms. Maybe broken relationships, marriages or families, maybe health issues that you've had to walk through. What's, what's the worst storm you've had to face? Maybe job loss or financial ruin or strain. Well, what if, what if you could sleep through the storms like that? When you faced the most horrendous things in your life, what if you actually were able to sleep and be at peace during those storms? You had such a peace and an assurance in Christ. Because you know what? You can. We're going to see that this morning as we see Jesus asleep in the storm. Why don't you uh, take a Bible. In the seats around you, there'll be a Bible. I don't have the text on the screen, so you need a Bible to follow along. So all around you, there should be some Bibles in the chairs. And turn to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So if you get somewhere near one of those books, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to be picking up at verse 35 this morning in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read it for us this morning. It's not a long passage. Yeah, I know. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. See, I was testing if you were listening. Yeah, we did, we did Matthew a little while ago. That was a number of years ago. Um, anyway, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. We're going to begin there. And uh, let's read it together, and then we'll pray before looking at sleeping in storms. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's take a moment and pray. Father, this morning, uh, Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the assurance that you give us, the peace that you can bring us in the midst of life storms, of difficulties and trials and afflictions. God, that we can walk through those uh, in a way like you did, Jesus. I pray that you would help, God. Whoever here this morning maybe is in the midst and in the middle of a storm of life, that you would encourage them, that, Father, they um, that they would have their eyes upon you, and that we would leave this place with an assurance that, that, Jesus, you are with us in that storm. And so bless our time, Lord, studying your word today. And may you open our eyes and our hearts to receive your truth. We love you and we thank you for it. Amen. All right, the, the first thing that we're going to see about sleeping in storms is the promise of his word. Uh, let's begin in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now we've seen, if you've been following with us through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen the the popularity of Jesus grow quite rapidly. I mean, Mark, of course, covers um, in about a chapter and a half or two chapters what takes Matthew, like 11 chapters. So he's really condensed things. But we've seen the popularity grow uh, grow of Jesus very quickly. At first, he was in homes, packing out homes, 
a, a small uh, home, Jewish home, would, would have been packed with about 50 or 75 or 100 people spilling out, we were told. But in recent times, and we've been studying now in the Gospel of Mark, as we've gotten further into the book, we've seen it not just be hundreds of people, but thousands of people starting to gather, starting to come around to hear him from all different areas. In fact, um, the, the text even, if you remember, told us that there were so many people at some points that it was actually the word, it was they, they were crushing. They were like falling upon Jesus. And so we've seen what Jesus has done a couple different times now, is he's gotten into a boat. A boat became his pulpit for him to teach from. It was safe, but it also, because it, it kept a bit of a distance from the crowds, but it also would help him to be able to project his voice over the water that would carry very easily. And on this particular day, uh, after teaching likely all day, because we're told here now that evening had come, so it's getting late, probably Jesus is pretty tired at this point. If you've ever done much teaching, you know that it can be a little bit draining, physically exhausting. And so he's been teaching likely all day. If he stepped off that boat to the shore, what do you think would happen? Like a magnet, probably everyone would just kind of glue right onto him. Oh, Jesus, I need you to do this. I need this. I need this. Right? And so what does Jesus do? What does he do? He suggests a different plan to the disciples. He's already in the boat, so he basically tells the disciples, hey guys, get in. Let's go across to the other side. Let's cross over the Sea of Galilee. You see, the other side where they were heading, it was predominantly Gentile. Predominantly Gentile. Of course, he's been ministering really just to Jews at this point. And so, so heading across would be to an area that was mainly Gentiles, not entirely, but mainly Gentiles, and also no really large cities. So the population base was a lot smaller. He could get some rest and be with the disciples. Something we should know is that the Sea of Galilee is not a sea. It's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's not a sea, as we know a sea to be. Uh, it's more of a lake, a large lake. It's about 21 kilometers long, and it's about 13 kilometers wide at its widest. I have a picture, an aerial picture. This is right off Google Maps. That's the Sea of Galilee as it is today, and it hasn't really changed since the day of Christ, about 2,000 years ago. So that's the Sea of Galilee. So about 21 kilometers long <clears throat> and about 13 kilometers at its widest point. A bit of perspective. Lake Cowichan is 30 kilometers long. It's longer than the Sea of Galilee, but at its widest point, Lake Cowichan is only four kilometers. So you can see the, the shape of it. It's, it's, a, it's bigger in that sense. So it's not a sea, but the Sea of Galilee, though it is a lake, is actually like a sea in the sense of the storms that it can get. The Sea of Galilee is surrounded by all, a number of mountains and ravines that wind will funnel through and, and it can go from totally calm waters to raging sea-like storms in a matter of minutes, really, really quickly. But what I want us to notice is what Jesus said in verse 35. If you have a red-letter edition Bible, in other words, the, the words of Jesus are all highlighted in red, it'll be very easy. What did Jesus say in verse 35? Tell me, what did he say? Let us go across to the other side. Notice that he didn't say, let us perish in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He didn't say that. What did he say? He said, let us cross over to the other side. What do you think he means when he says, let us cross over to the other side? What, what does that mean? This is really hard. Yeah, we're going to go to the other side. We're going to go to the other side. Okay, we're going to get there. And you need to know this, that the word of Christ is more powerful than anything in this life or anything in this world. By his words, Jesus actually spoke creation into existence. All that we see around us was just simply by his word. Incredible. So here's the thing. When Christ gives a word, when he tells you something, you need to underline it. You need to circle it. You need to highlight it. You should maybe highlight that verse even in your Bible because that's the key verse of this passage that we're looking at. 
Let us go across the other side. This is a key thing. When Jesus says something, it's gold. Now, how can you know what his promises are, though? What is his word to you? How can you know what it is? Come on, you know. This is how. You get into the word. You read his words to you. Read the Bible. You're going to know what he promises, what he tells you. The other thing I would say is this, is take time to listen for his voice, for his instruction in your life. So Jesus gives his word. Okay, that's the first thing. But also notice in verse 36, what happens? It says, and leaving the crowd, leaving the crowd they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Interesting, it's funny that they say just as he was. Commentators point out that it likely marks communicating that he was just totally wiped and exhausted at this point, probably just done. Just as he was, he's kind of, as he is, they took him. And other boats were with him. Now there's a couple of things here. Who told them to go to the other side? Not to go under, but to go over. Who was that? You know the answer here. Yeah, say it loud. Say, yeah, yeah. Jesus. And who is with them in the boat? Who do they take with them? Jesus. Jesus. Good job. Okay, you're good. This is good. What does that mean? When Jesus tells them something, and Jesus not only tells them, but is also with them, that's called a guaranteed promise. That's a guaranteed promise. You got a guarantee there. And so this is what, you know, we have the same thing, because we have his word, and we have his presence with us in our lives. We have his promise of his word. Just, Just one other quick thing before we move on to the next point. Only Mark tells us that there were other boats with him. Other gospels tell of the same account. Uh, but it's interesting that Mark actually says there were other boats with him. Likely, as he taught, how many of you have ever been in Victoria, there's something called the Symphony Splash? I was going to say a fire, but it's Symphony Splash. Uh, and they have that barge with like the, um, the orchestra and the, the band on it. Have you noticed that people come around in canoes and boats and things like that? Have you ever seen that? Um, likely, that's kind of what was happening here. Jesus was in the boat, and there's other boats probably that pulled up to hear him teach and to be around him. And we're told that they actually, they actually joined him in his crossing. Other boats were with them as they start to go across, which is something to kind of think about because I'm not going to give anything away here, I hope, but there's going to be a big storm that comes, and that's going to affect these other boats too. You think about that. Jesus, and I'm going to give something else away too. He's going to calm the storm, okay, in case you aren't aware. I know I already read it, but... Um, it's going to affect just not the disciples, but even the other, the other boats. Think of all the other boats that were in the middle of the storm as well. Something to think about. Just his care and his affection for them too. It won't be just the apostles' lives that are spared. So the first thing we have to remember, you want to sleep in storms, you have to remember Christ's word to you. You need to get into his word to know what it is. And you need to remember the promises of his word. But secondly, you need to also expect windstorms. Look at verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, when it says a great windstorm, it means a great windstorm. Because if you've done any boating, generally you don't want waves breaking into a boat. It's okay maybe when they break onto a boat, but when they're breaking into a boat, it's a pretty bad thing. A boat is meant to go on the water, not to be full of water. So this is pretty serious stuff. And you've got to remember, I mean, we're going to see the disciples freak out. Don't forget that at least four of these disciples are experienced fishermen. They've basically been born and raised on the Sea of Galilee. They know what it is to be in a storm. So for them to really lose it, this is a legit storm. And and, I mean, they think they're literally going to die. We're going to see in a few moments. Which is an interesting thing. I mean, this is a very real storm, very real danger. You know that they have actually measured 25-foot waves on the Sea of Galilee. It's not uncommon to have that kind of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. That's huge. The peak of this building, I think, is 26 or 27 feet. That's a big wave, you guys. So this is a serious storm, which I think we need to understand. 
This isn't just some light little, you know. It's like, oh, it's starting to stormy. Feel the wind. This is like a serious, serious thing that they're in. I actually read that, in fact, um, on the Sea of Galilee, because of these storms that can just come out of nowhere, there's actually a law now to stop tourists from, like, renting little boats to take out onto the lake because they can be, it's all beautiful, and they head out onto the lake, and then a storm rips, just gets ripping going out of nowhere, and there's been drownings and all kinds of things. So it's a serious, serious thing. But this is kind of confusing because as followers of Jesus, I mean, should we not be exempt of storms? Right? Especially, especially think of it this way, especially when, when we're in the middle of God's will. I mean, whose idea was this to go? It was Jesus' idea. It was his idea. It wasn't their plan. It was, it was Jesus' plan. The problem is, is there are branches and brands of Christianity that would try to teach that you should never have to go through storms, that it should all be health and wealth and prosperity, and nothing bad should ever happen to you. And if there is, well, then there must be sin in your life. That's the biggest lie ever, okay? Don't believe that. In fact, let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus knew that a storm was coming? I think he did. I mean, it doesn't specifically tell us in the Word. I think it was part of the curriculum for the day, for the disciples. I think that's what, what's going on here. He wanted to teach the disciples some key lessons. I think one of the key lessons being this, that storms come when you're in the middle of God's will. I think storms come especially when you're in God's will, Right? but you can also trust Jesus in the middle of those storms. You know, often we only think that storms will come when, when we're disobedient or we've done something wrong. Think about Jonah as an example. People will look at Jonah. And that's true. Jonah, Jonah was told to go preach to Nineveh and he went the opposite direction in a boat. And so what did God do? He brought a storm. Why did that storm come? Because Jonah was disobedient. So it is true. Sometimes it's because of our disobedience that storms come. However, look at these disciples. They're not being disobedient. They're actually being obedient. They're fully obeying Jesus. And they get into a storm because of their obedience. Do you see that? It doesn't, it, we can expect the same thing in our lives. We are not exempt storms. We are to expect storms. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Do you know what that says? It's not weird when you have hard stuff in life. He's saying, in fact, you should expect it. You shouldn't be like, what's going on? I'm a follower of you, God. He's like, precisely. <laughs> right? That, that's what he said. Jesus promised us that. He says, in, in this world, you will have trials. But take heart, I've overcome. So don't be surprised. It's normal for Christians to go through difficulties. In fact, the psalmist told us, in Psalm 119, verse 71, he said, My suffering, other translations say my affliction, or, or you could say my storm, was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. And you've experienced that as you've walked through storms. What tends to happen? Kind of everything else just kind of falls away, doesn't it? And you're like, okay, I don't care about that anymore or that anymore. I just need you, God, to get me through this. That's what he said. It taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Even James, the brother of Jesus, he expanded on a little bit why storms in our lives are good for us. Look what he says, James 1, 2 to 4. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And that's how we are, right? We're like, yeah, a trial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he goes on, pure joy. It literally can be translated as benefit. 
not just joy, but benefit to your life. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Listen, God wants to grow you up. You know that. He wants to grow you up. And you know one of the key ways that he does that is through trials and afflictions. Why? It causes us to pay attention to his decrees, which results, of course, in perseverance. Why? Because you're going to discover, once again, that God never fails. So I can do it because he was faithful then. He's going to be faithful now. And he develops these in us, making us mature, making us actually not lack anything. The problem is, is I think too often as Christians, we just want to be Toys R Us Christians. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us Christian. I want it easy, Jesus. That's often what we want. I want it easy, smooth sailing. I want the health and the wealth. You know what that creates? That creates immature Christians. Not mature Christians, but immature We need to walk through difficulties. Know this, Jesus didn't then or now promise an easy trip. He said there'll be windstorms, but you know what he did promise was a guaranteed arrival at their destination. I'll just say this as well, never ever judge why trials or bad things are happening to somebody else. Just don't. Don't try to go, hey, you know, I I think this is happening in your life because maybe this or that. You know, I, I've shared before how when I had my brain tumor a number of years ago, I can't remember how long it was ago. It was eight years maybe, something like that, a long time ago. And um, I had a wonderful uh, Christian lady in our church who wrote me a letter of how she's praying for me. And, and then she also said, and I also can't help but wonder if it's something that you have said that God is maybe getting you for, <laughs> basically. And she mentioned some of the jokes that I'd mentioned. And uh, <laughs> now maybe, I agree, my jokes are pretty bad. So I could see why God would be like, you know, he, no. But, but and, and I just was like, I was okay with it. I was like, whatever, I, it's fine. Um, later, after the fact, she actually apologized to me a while later because she went through something really horrendous as well <laughs> and said, I'm so sorry to ever have said that. And it's just the truth. We can never know why somebody's walking through what they're walking through. It might be because of disobedience and it might be, be because of obedience. And the Lord wants to grow you up, grow us up. So don't ever pin on somebody else, this is why this is happening to you. Never, ever do that. So remember his word. You want to sleep through storms? Remember his word. Expect storms to come. Expect windstorms and keep worry in check. In fact, I would say just don't worry. All right? Do your best not to worry. Think about this. This is this crazy storm that they're in right now. The, the disciples in the boat are probably, they probably, I don't know if they have buckets or what they're doing. They're, they're probably trying to do anything they can to get the water out of the boat. Doing everything that they can. Bailing water. And what is Jesus doing in the midst of the storm? He's sleeping crazy. Look at verse 38. But he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Now, this isn't a big boat, by the way. I've got a picture of what a, um, that's a replica model of what a Galilean fishing boat would have looked like, something like that. Uh, And so in the stern, the back of the boat, Jesus was sleeping somewhere in the back. I've got another picture for you here, just to show you. So that's kind of like where they would have stood on that back kind of platform. I don't know if Jesus was under it, like, I don't know, I have no idea. Like, what do you call it in a boat? A cuddy? Cuddy? Is that what it's called at the front of a boat? A, yeah, like, like, like that kind of idea. Like, he's kind of underneath, um, or if he was just in the very back. But somewhere in the back of the boat, he's sleeping. He's not just sleeping. He's, like, snuggling with a pillow. That's what we're told. Isn't it kind of a funny detail that we get from Mark? Remember, Mark was not a disciple of Jesus. He wasn't. Uh, early church history tells us that it was likely Peter that, that took Mark alongside and discipled Mark. And so probably this is coming as an eyewitness from Peter that Mark's writing this down. 
And it's kind of a funny detail. And I wonder if Peter, you know, he's, he's probably telling Mark all about the storm. It was crazy. The waves were massive, just huge. And they're flooding the boat and we were going to sink and we were going to die. And, and we're doing everything we can trying to get the water out. And, and we look back. He's like, I remember like it was yesterday. And there's Jesus just asleep on a pillow, which is kind of weird. I mean, even the fact that, you know, if, we, if, if man made up the scriptures, do you think they would add that little detail? Asleep on, and it's not just a pillow, it's the pillow. It's like the only one in the boat and he's hogging it kind of thing, right? You know, often we read the Bible and we kind of go from, from one paragraph to the next thinking that it's just a matter of minutes. It can be hard not to read it that way. If, especially when you read the Gospel of Mark that we've covered already a couple years probably of Jesus' ministry, minimum a couple years, in the matter of like three chapters. And so you can read that going, well, that was like, you know, that was like three weeks. That's been years. And, and, and so we can read it thinking that, you know, this has just been kind of, you know, he just kind of keeps going through his day. He's been ministering, probably going full, full tilt. Jesus has been going full tilt for a while now, not just a couple paragraphs, but it's been months probably, right? And he's been ministering to thousands. He's exhausted. I mean, he can't even keep his eyes open. He's just like some of you when I preach. But do you know what? This, this shows us so much the humanity of Christ, does it not? He had a body like ours. We've got to remember that. He wasn't some sort of superhero. He was not. He was fully man, fully human, just like you and just like me. He hungered. He thirsted. He felt pain. He grew weary. He got tired. He needed rest, just like you and just like me. But it's so remarkable. He was exhausted, but it was remarkable, I think, as well, that he could sleep. Imagine this, in the midst of some crazy storm. So I think it shows his humanity, but I think it also shows his peace and his trust in the Father. How many of you have ever laid awake worried about something? Anybody ever laid awake at night because you got something rolling around in your brain? That is my stress indicator. I, I, I hesitate to tell Andrea when I have bad sleeps because then she starts going, okay, well, what's going on? What is it that's on your head? What, because that's how I get stressed. That's my indicator that I'm stressed out. And, and, and you know, a lot of the time, the things, it's, I feel, you know why I don't want to tell Andrea sometimes? Because I feel so stupid. Really, I'm like, it's so foolish that this thing is bothering me. And, and so the things that bother me sometimes, it's just, off, mo- the majority of the time, I stay awake because I just simply lack perspective. I've taken my eyes off of Jesus, something's bothering me, and I'm stressed about something that I shouldn't be. Y- even just last night, uh, thank the Lord, he gave me a perfect illustration, thank you, Lord. I woke up at 3.30 in the morning, and I could not fall back asleep. And then I started having, you know those like kind of dreams where you're like, you're, you're totally awake still, but you're not? Like, you know, and, and I had one of those going on, and this was my nightmare, is that we were at church, and the, the songs weren't going right. Like, the, the, the words were all wrong and everything. I'm like, I remember being like, wait, kind of being like half awake going like, oh, I can't believe it, and I was all stressed about it. And I'm like, what on earth? And when I really woke up, you know, I was like, that's the dumbest thing ever. And isn't it foolish sometimes the things, and Caden this morning, first time doing PowerPoint today, and he nailed it with the songs. I mean, the lyrics. Didn't he do fantastic? Just nailed it. And, and you know, the things that, that, honestly, the things for the vast majority of the time that keep us up in the middle of the night, they're kind of foolish. But if you really think about it, Jesus, the things that, that he could have been kept awake of, the things that he could have worried about, I don't think were so foolish, if you think about it. I mean, right then, in his life, the religious leaders, 
They were planning his murder. And he knew it. He knew it. He's already told the disciples, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the cross. You know, they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. He knew it was coming, but he slept. He knew the future. He knew that the cross awaited him in Jerusalem. At this point, not too far away, a few months away. The cross would be just around the corner, but he slept. His family thought he was crazy. Do you remember, we saw that, I think, already, Mark, where they were like, you're out of your mind. Come on, you need to get away from here. What's going on? But he slept. Thousands of people needed him with all kinds of hurts and needs and difficulties, things that only he could meet, but he slept. I mean, all these things to worry about, but Jesus wasn't worried at all. He could sleep in a rocking boat. Forget a rocking chair. He just needed a rocking boat, a crazy rocking boat, and he could sleep because I believe it wasn't just the sleep of human weariness. I think it was also the rest of faith that he was experiencing. You know, just because the storm in your life caught you by surprise, it did not catch Jesus by surprise. You need to know that. He's not shocked. Jesus isn't, isn't panicked. He's not pacing and plodding and trying to figure out how he's going to fix this situation, the storm that you're in. He's at rest. And you need to remember his word. Let us go across to the other side. Not let us drown in whatever storm that we're walking through right now. Let us cross over. And we need to learn to base our reactions on his promises and not on our circumstances. The thing is, I think that oftentimes we would like Jesus to worry a little about our situation, wouldn't we? It's like, Jesus, can't you at least stay up with me for a little while? No, I'm going to bed. No, stay awake, please. Like, right? Can you wring your hands with me or pace with me for a bit, please? Right? We want him to worry with us. And sometimes we can feel like God's nowhere in our storm. Or maybe we know he's there, we know he's present, but he's fast asleep. And sometimes it makes us angry, let's be honest, that he's not in a panic. Commentators point that out, that the disciples actually had a tinge of anger in what gets communicated. They're angry probably because it's like, we need all the help we can get and you're sleeping. It's all hands on deck time, Jesus, and you're asleep. And they actually probably were a little bit angry because he's not in the panic like they are. And we can do the same thing. Why are you getting worked up like I am, Jesus? The disciples, see, they forgot his promise. And look, look how the verse uh, continues. So he's asleep in the back on the pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, first of all, think about this. How do you wake Jesus up? I mean, he's God in the flesh. How do you wake up God? You've got to wonder what this conversation was going on. You Think about it. They're like, John, you wake him up. You're his favorite. And John's like, forget it. I'm not doing that. I want to remain his favorite. <laughs> Peter, you wake him up. He expects you to do stupid stuff all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess so. Okay, you're right. And so then what does Peter do? Do you, do you pull his toes? Do you pull the pillow out from his head? Do you, like, I don't know. How do you wake him up? I know what he, they didn't do. They didn't do what my brothers would do to me. When I never, I was the youngest of four boys, and I hated getting up in the morning. I still don't like it, but I do it. They would come into my room, especially on, well, I had a paper route, Times calling this paper route, which was like every day. And, uh, and I'd lay in bed, and I'd be so warm and cozy, and it'd be like, you know, we had to get up at like 6 a.m. to go do the papers. And they'd, they'd come in, and they'd pull the sheets off the bed, and I'd just be laying there, leave me alone. And then they would take a cup of water and just slowly dribble the water on me. And, uh, and I got up. I got out of bed. <laughs> I hated it. I hated it. I despised it. I know they didn't do that to Jesus because he's probably already soaked from all the waves that are crashing in. So they didn't do the dribble water trick. 
But how do you wake up Jesus? The second thing is this. Can you imagine? Jesus, don't you care? Can you, can you imagine saying that to Jesus? Do you care? Does he actually care? You know, I think sometimes, I know we would probably never say that to him, but I wonder if there aren't times that we kind of think that in our lives. I mean, after all, whose fault was it that they were in the storm? Jesus' fault. Yeah, you know the answer. <laughs> it was Jesus' fault, if you could say that, that they were in the middle of the storm. They were in this mess because it was his idea to go across. And sometimes it, it feels like God doesn't care because he's not in the same panic that we're in. And so it looks like he doesn't care. But did Jesus care? I, I, of course he cared. Of course Jesus cared. The, the problem was this. They weren't in danger. They weren't. They weren't actually in danger. There was no real danger. Jesus knew the big picture, which the disciples had forgotten, that they would make it across the lake simply because Jesus said so. But I also think it's because, because Jesus also knew the Father's plan. Think about it. Jesus trusted in the Father, and he knew his assignment wasn't yet finished or done, was it? Can you imagine? Would God the Father allow the Messiah, his son, to die in a boating accident? Imagine that, reading the story, and it's like, and they got into the boat, they started across the lake. A huge storm came, the boat sank, and Jesus drowned. You're like, what? And, and God the Father and the Holy Spirit are like, oh, shoot. He was supposed to die in a boating accident. What are we going to do now? Do you know what I'm saying? Like how foolish it is? It's really goofy that, 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 that we could kind of think that. Like, like, he was supposed to die on the cross. This really messes things up. This is why Jesus could have such a peace. Because he knew his life was secure in the Father's hands. He knew his life was secure in the Father's hands. And in the same way, there are so many scriptures that tell us that God has numbered our days. And do you know what? When God numbers your days, do you know what that means? You're secure in his hands. He numbers your days. Psalm 39, Psalm 90, Psalm 139 all speak to this fact. Job 14 verse 5 says this. You have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live and we are not given a minute longer. Isn't that crazy? God knows. Your life is secure in his hands. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 29 to 31, he says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. That's crazy. Sometimes I have birds flying to our windows at home. Oh man, the bird's dead. Do you know that that bird, it was, it was the, the will of the father was allow, what allowed that sparrow. A sparrow, a silly little bird. Sorry if you're a bird lover. But for that bird to die, like the, the father knew about that, even that little bird's death. And then Jesus goes on to say this, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, which is easier for some people than others. But he knows precisely how many hairs you have. When it falls out, he, oh, take, oh, now, oh, now I'm going to grow some more. And he knows precisely how many hairs are on your head of every person on the planet. This is crazy. So what does Jesus say? He says, listen, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. If God knows when a sparrow is going to die, he knows your story too. He values you, values you higher than a sparrow. He counts the very hairs that are on your head. You do not need to worry because your life is in God's hands. 
So don't worry. Instead, remember his promises and the power of his word. Look at verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I heard about some Bible college students that were doing a study tour in Israel. And uh, they were doing a, um, a, a boat trip across the Sea of Galilee. And while they're on this trip, a massive storm came up. And they're, they're obviously in a bigger boat than the little boats, and it was obviously also a powered boat. It wasn't, didn't have sails or anything. But they, so it's got engines on the boat, and they're, sail, they're, they're going, just kind of chugging along into the storm. And it's getting pretty serious. And at one point, one of the students goes, I'm going to give the Jesus thing a try. And so he stands up at the front of the boat, and he, he just stands up and he just says, Peace, be still! And guess what happened? At that, instantly at that moment, the engines cut out. <laughs> totally stopped. Totally stopped. Totally backfired. But it worked for Jesus. Because creation has to listen to the voice of its creator, doesn't it? Literally, it's interesting. In the Greek, Jesus actually said peace. He didn't just say be still, but it actually is be muzzled. He says be muzzled. You see, the wind and the waves were kind of like a ferocious dog that was snapping at the boat, snapping at the disciples. But at his command, it was muzzled. And this is why we can have peace and sleep in the storms. Because we have an enemy. We have an enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be careful, Peter warns us. He goes on to say this, but persevere, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in who Jesus is and who you are in Christ. But here's the thing. We can stand firm in the faith because Christ won the victory over Satan on the cross. Colossians 2.15 tells us this. It says that he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Let me read that again. I think we have this text for you as well, Caden. That should be somewhere in the, the slides. He disarmed. Do you, do you know what that means? That means that the enemy has no more weapons. He's been disarmed. He's removed his weapons. He shamed him by his victory on the cross. And so now when you stand in Christ, not in your own authority, but when you stand by faith in his work, not in your works, not in your efforts, not in your goodness, but in the work that Jesus Christ has done, here's the reality. Satan, he can only gum you. He can roar. He's got a really loud roar, but he, all he can do is, I'm going to get you. And he comes after you. That's all he can do is gum you now. He's been disarmed. Do you know what it means? He's been detoothed and he's been declawed. So he might sound scary and he might tempt you. He can tempt you. He might push you as a lion. He might try to use his strength to push you into something. But he's been muzzled by Christ. He sounds scary, but he's got a muzzle on him. This is why Jesus then questions the disciples in verse 40. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith. You see, in reality, this was the only ship in history that was truly unsinkable. This was the real Titanic. It truly was unsinkable. Why? Because Jesus had given his word that they would cross over to the other side. There's no way that it could sink. The only problem, the only thing that was even sinkable that day was the disciples' faith. That was the only issue, right? If they had had faith in his word, it should have been enough to quiet their fear. So Jesus actually rebukes them. It's interesting. Commentators point that out, that that he rebukes the wind and the waves, but in a sense, he also gives a rebuke to the disciples. Where is your faith? Why are you so afraid? 
I like what Warren Wearsby says. He says, Jesus did not stop with the calming of the elements. For the greatest danger was not the wind or the waves. It was the unbelief in the hearts of the disciples. Our greatest problems or dangers, you could say, are within us, not around us. Isn't that so true? That's the biggest danger. Not whatever is going on around us in life, not what the economy is doing, not what the doctors say is going on physically in our bodies. But what Jesus says, that's the only thing we don't need to fear. So Jesus actually sets in contrast fear and faith. They're they're opposites. He sets them in contrast. Because when you're fearful, it's likely that you just don't have faith. Because the scriptures clearly teach us that God does care for us, that God does love us, that God does hold our life in his hands, that he is sovereign. And so if he appears to be asleep, know that at the right moment, at the right time, he will intervene, he will step forth, and he will act. He cares for us, he works for us, even when it doesn't seem like he's up to it. And it was that trust that he wanted to work into the disciples that day, that he wants to work into us now as well. So this morning, does Jesus need to ask you where your faith is? Why are you afraid? Because you know what he's done in the past. You know what he's done in your life. You've experienced the touch of his word in your life. You've seen his faithfulness past and present, and so it's time to trust him, to just believe his promises, the power of his word. It's time to really do what we learned in the book, The Awe of God, to trade your fears for the fear of God. That's what we need to do. If there's one chapter you read again, or if you haven't read any of the book, just read chapter 37, day 37, because it's all about trading your fears for the fear of God. That's what the disciples do. Look at verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you see what happened here? They traded their original fear for a great fear of God. In fact, they were more afraid now than when the storm was gone, right? Than when the storm was raging all around them because they knew they were in the presence of someone unique, someone powerful, someone fully human yet fully God someone that controls all things. And when we realize that all things are submitted to Christ, all things, all things are submitted to Christ, that can bring a peace to our life, that we can trade all other fears for our fear of God. Because as John Bevere says, the only time that God permits someone who fears him to go through suffering, or to go through storms, you could say, is if it's granted from above for God's glory. However, even in these situations, there is a confidence from holy fear that eliminates human fear. It's so true. You've probably experienced this in your own lives. I remember experiencing it with, with my brain tumor all those years ago. I, I remember talking to my doctor afterwards. When, 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 when I finally discovered, it had been months of not knowing what was going on with me. That was scarier. That storm was scarier than knowing that I had a brain tumor. Because I was like, I can't do anything anymore. I just, I can't. And I remember, I remember, um, after my surgery, I went and saw my, 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 uh, my doctor here in town, my, uh, my GP, and we were chatting, and, and, um, and he was asking me about everything. I said, yeah, you know, I said, it was just minor brain surgery. And he says to me, he looks at me, he's like, what? There's no such thing as minor brain surgery. And at first, I thought I was kind of naive. I was a little bit silly, perhaps. Oh, yeah, I guess so. I, you know, and he's like, yeah, and he explains to me everything. He's like, that's not minor. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know. It seems so simple what they had to do, and, 
And at first I was like, I was kind of naive. You know, when I read the book, I realized I wasn't naive. I believe, as I read that book, I realized, you know what? I think it was that I had a fear of God. It wasn't me being silly and naive and not understanding how serious a brain tumor, I, I know how serious it is. I think it was that I feared more God than I did whatever that other stuff was going to do to me anyway. I, real, I had such a peace through the midst of that. I, I just realized that, hey, if, if I die, I win. Right? And if I live, I win. Truthfully, that's why the Apostle Paul would say that very kind of statement. What do I do? <laughs> I'd far rather go be with God. But I need to be here with you. I'm torn, he says. I don't know what to do. And there was a, a fear of the Lord that I realized it doesn't matter what doctors say or do. All that matters is that my life is in his hands. He's in control. He's in charge. As we close this morning, I think Connor and Lonnie are just going to come up to close us off with a song. I just want to ask you, where is your faith today? Where is your faith? Is your faith... Is it in doctors? Is it in counselors? Is it in the bank? Is it in your own abilities? Or is it in Jesus' word? Are you trusting his word today? You know, maybe right now you are in a storm. And I, I don't want to minimize your storm. I don't want to say it's not real. Like I mentioned, the disciples were in a very real storm. That was a real, real storm. And what you're walking through is real. And it is hard. I don't want to say it's not but I want you to listen for what the Lord is speaking to you in the midst of that storm. What are his promises to you? Have you listened for what he wants to say? As we close this morning, I want us to take time and just listen. You see, the truth is this, is that we are far safer in the middle of a storm with Jesus than anywhere else without him. And I kind of hate it. It's, it's like that love-hate kind of relationship where I hate storms, I hate difficulty, I hate it that James tells us to consider it pure joy and benefit when you walk through stuff like that. It's like fasting. I hate it, but I love it. It's that love-hate kind of thing. In the same way, the afflictions and the storms, the things that we walk through, I hate them, but, but I love how it draws me so close to the Lord and how I experience his presence and how I experience his faithfulness that time and time again, he will never let me down. And so I hate it, but I kind of go, okay, Lord, I do consider it joy when I walk through tough times and difficulties. And so what are you walking through today? What's the storm? Listen, we want to take some time. We're going to sing a song. Um, Lynn, and I'm not sure if there's others that are available just to help with prayer over here on the side. I'll be as well up here if you would like prayer. We would love to meet with you and pray with you as you walk through your storm. But can we stand together as we close this morning? Jesus, this morning we come before you. And, uh, and maybe it's a bit of a rebuke that we need to hear today. We, we generally want to say, oh, Lord, just kind of hold me. Can you just kind of hang on to me and cuddle me, please? That's what I need right now. No, sometimes we need a rebuke to actually say, where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? Lord, whatever storms we're walking through right now, I pray that our faith would rise above. God, that we would keep our eyes so fixed on you that, Jesus, we would know that nothing can sink this boat, not until you say the boat's time to go down. It's not time until you say it's time. 
And so Jesus, we put our faith again in you. We trust in you. We hope in you. We look to you. And in the midst of the storms right now, we want to hear your voice. We want to hear the promises of your word that will never fail. And so Lord, just in this moment, before we even begin to sing, would you speak your word into our hearts? May it may be a scripture verse. Maybe you're going to give us a picture, a thought. You're going to impress it upon our heart. Would you just speak that just right now, Jesus? We want to listen. We want to listen for your voice, for your promise to get us across to the other side, not to go under, but to go over. So we welcome your voice right now, Jesus. I encourage you, if you hear him speak, write it down. Put it in your phone. Put it somewhere. If there's a scripture that he wants to impress upon your heart, there's a word he wants to give you, write it down. Don't forget it. Hold on to that promise because his word and his presence is his guarantee in your life. So Jesus, we listen, we wait, we hope in you. We trust you. We know you'll never fail. And I pray, God, for help for those of us that are maybe right now in the middle of a storm, that, God, we would receive your help. That we would press into you even greater. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that you're with us always to the very end of the age. Thank you that we can trust you, that you'll never let us down. You haven't failed me before and you're not going to fail me now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would just cause faith to rise in your people. Fear to be gone and faith to rise. As we begin to sing this morning in closing, if you would like prayer, if you just want somebody to stand with you, Lynn's here, I'm here, we'd love to just just stand and just stand alongside you and pray and encourage. So if you like prayer, feel free to come this morning as we begin to sing. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.